The following message is brought to you by Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We exist to bring glory to God by knowing Christ and making Him known. If you would like to visit our church, we hold multiple services on Sunday mornings starting at 9 a.m. We are located between Motokea Wharf and Edai Town. Pickups are available 709-1000. Bibles there, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, and we're going to read verses 12 all the way down to the bottom of that chapter, verse 21. Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21. Verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For unto the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned, after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offenses of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. Not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one much more they which received abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one jesus christ therefore as by the offense of one judgment came unto all men to condemnation even so by the righteousness of one the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life for as by one man's disobedience men were, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered in, the law entered that the offence might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Having said goodbye to your girls yesterday, and I want to say thank you for caring enough to ask. We did say goodbye. I did shed tears at the airport, and then they came back. And the very definition of an act of God, as a volcano went off and disrupted the flight plan, and the girls got back off of the airplane and came back home with us. So, Lord willing, they will go again tomorrow. I have already practiced crying the goodbye for them. We'll see how that goes tomorrow. <laughs> Feel free to ask me next week, and I will quietly tell you how I did, all right? Romans chapter 5, we're going to be in verses 12 to 21. And also, if you want to stick a piece of paper into 1 Corinthians 15, we will be there later just for a few verses to have a look there. Romans chapter 5 is our text for this morning. The actions of one person can have a massive impact on the lives of many others. The actions of one person can have a massive impact on the lives of many others. 
I'll share a story. 2019, the Los Angeles Times, one of the larger newspapers in Los Angeles, California. I read. All he wanted to do was plug up a wasp nest because he's allergic to bees and he was worried about being stung. It was a hot day. The rancher in Northern California hamlet of Potter Valley walked into a bed of waist-high cured grassland driving a stake into the ground. That created a spark that grew into the largest wildfire in California's history. Officials say that once the fire started, the rancher shuffled through the waist-high grass and grabbed his trampoline and a rug. I'm wondering who has a trampoline out in the middle of the grassland. But he grabbed his trampoline and a rug, then threw those onto the flames, hoping they would do the trick. Instead, the trampoline caught fire, and the flames spread to a very large shade cloth on the ground, ignited the bed of grass that it was on. The flames wrapped around his water tank and moved downhill towards the highway. He turned to a black polyurethane tube that was connected to the water tank, but the fire burned it until it kinked, cutting off the connection. I can almost imagine this happening on our hillside. <laughs> In desperation, he broke off a PVC line that was connected to the water tank, and he tried to squeeze the flow towards the flames, but the PVC hole was too wide, and his thumb was too small, and the fire was too far for the water to reach it. So the rancher tried one last thing. He disconnected the trailer from his four-wheel drive truck, drove to the front of the fire, which was now racing up the hill towards his second water tank, and he hit the gas so his tires would kick up dirt and knock down the flames. But his tires lost traction, and he lost control of the vehicle. The rancher bailed out of the truck, and his truck rolled down into an embankment out of options and his cell phone lost somewhere in the field. The rancher ran 200 meters back down to his home and called emergency responders. Over the following weeks, the fire vanquished every attempt to stop it. In the first 12 days, it jumped at least four creeks, a major road, and a bulldozer cut fire break, all of which have been traditionally served as defensive fronts in firefighting but feeding on dry vegetation driven by winds that produced flames as high as 100 meters. The fire's heat created paths all around it, preheating grass and shrubs so that they could burn a moment later. It spread in all directions, reached into four counties before it was put out. Authorities this week released their findings on the cause of the ranch fire, the largest fire in California's history that began in July and was not put out until January. In all, 459,000 acres and more than 280 buildings were burned. One firefighter was killed and three were injured. All because one guy did not want to put up with a wasp. The actions of one person can greatly impact the lives of many others. The actions of one person can greatly impact the lives of many others. I'm sure that you've seen this happen in your own life. Perhaps the actions of someone else has greatly impacted your life. And as we come into our passage for today in Romans chapter 5, we're going to see that there are two people who have impacted your life more than anyone else on the planet. Namely, Adam, our great-grandfather Adam, impacted your life to death, and Jesus Christ has impacted your life to life. 
And so we'll see that as we look through our passage for today. Romans chapter 5, verses 12 down to 21. We have a great big sentence here. If you have a King James Version, it'll be easiest for you to see this. Some of the other translations don't as clearly outline this. You can see it in verse 12. At the end of verse 12, verse 12 ends with a colon. That's the two dots that are together. The beginning of verse 13 is a parenthesis, and that parenthesis goes all the way to the end of verse 17. Verse 18 picks up the thought that verse 12 started. So verse 12 starts the thought, verse 18 finishes the thought. Everything between 13 to 17 is, we call it parenthetical, it supports the idea that's coming from around it. So you could imagine if you're writing a sentence and you need to explain the sentence, you can use a parenthesis in the middle to explain it, but the thought still remains on both sides. So that's what's going on here. We see verse 12 and verse 18 is the thought. So let me start off by reading verse 12 and then verse 18. Again, 13 to 17 is parenthetical. We'll come back to it in a few minutes. So let me show you. Verse 12, straight to verse 18. Verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. One man impacted your life more than anybody else in the whole world. Adam. Adam brought sin, sin passed upon all men, and now all have died because of sin. If you have not died yet, congratulations, it's still to come. Verse 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so on the other side, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. And there's Jesus on the other side. I think that verse 18 most clearly and most succinctly identifies and defines this whole passage. On the one side, you have Adam. On the other side, you have Jesus. And so what we'll do is we'll have a look at this comparison. It's a comparison. Verse 12 shows us Adam. Verse 18 shows us Jesus. So let's see. On the one side, Adam. On the one hand, we have one man bringing sin. That's Adam. He has sin. You can see it in verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world. That's verse 12. You have sin. That's coming from Adam. And then sin brings what? Sin brings death. So Adam brings us sin, Adam brings us death. If you want somebody to put your finger on and say, it's that person's fault that I'm sinning, it's Adam. It's Adam's fault. He did one thing in the Garden of Eden that caused sin and therefore death to pass upon all men. You're born that way. Then verse 18, he gives one more word there in verse 18, therefore as by the offense of one, it's Adam's fault, judgment came upon all men, two... Condemnation. Let me define condemnation because many times we just think of the word and we don't really think of what its meaning is. Condemnation is the opposite of justification. Here you go. Justification. If you've been following us in this study, justification is a legal declaration by God that you are declared righteous. You come to the end of the come to the end of the court case, and it's here comes the verdict. We find this person to be. And if you are in Adam, condemned. You are guilty of sin. But if you are in Jesus, you are justified. 
you are declared righteous. Condemnation is the opposite of justification. So let's see on the other hand, we had on the one hand we had Jesus, uh, on the one hand we had Adam, on the other hand we have Jesus. So let's have a look at Jesus. He is in verse 18. And see the words that we get in verse 18. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. So we have the free gift, that's verse 18, the free gift, and we will identify what the free gift is. It'll be there in just a minute. I'll show it to you. It's in the parentheses, by the way. We get the free gift that comes from Jesus. And by the way, Adam, it's not a free gift. It's just a condemnation that passes down from one to the next. You can't help it. You got it. But now if you get into Jesus, put your trust in Jesus, you follow through the gospel, you get a free gift from Him. And that free gift, we'll see what that free gift is in verse 17. We'll see it in a few minutes. But we get the free gift, and then we get justification, declared righteous. And then also in verse 18, of life. You follow after Adam... You're going to death. You follow after Christ, you get it. You get His righteousness, you get His justification, and you get life. And by the way, guys, please don't think that this is some, oh, one day I die and I get eternal life, and that's what this is talking about, because that's not at all what He's talking about. He's going to be, we're headed into chapter 6, and in chapter 6 He's going to tell us what real life is. Real life is having victory over sin, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So you see at the beginning of verse 18, therefore, as... And in the middle of verse 18, even so. As, even so. That's a comparison. And there's going to be a comparison all through these verses. Verse 12 down to verse 21, there are five times that he uses this kind of comparison. As, so. As, so. So he's going to repeat this over and over. There's five times that he says this. And you realize that God knew all along from before the foundation of the world, He knew that Adam was going to ruin everything, and He knew that He was going to send Jesus to take care of it all. This is a blessed thought. God knew it before the foundation of the world. I don't know if you've ever had somebody ask you, or maybe you thought, well, if God knew, why did He allow Adam to sin? Can I, can I give you an insight to this? Because it makes God exceedingly glorious. It makes God look good. And God is all about, by the way, God is all about His glory. We were created to give Him glory. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. It's our very reason to be alive is to bring glory to God. So it makes God look good, ready, when man falls in sin and gets right with God. You say, how does that work? Well, let me play this out like this. If you had a king, and that king was a really smart king, or maybe he had a really good scientist, and that guy can make 1,000 robots to serve him, you could watch as that king sat in his throne, and he said to his robots, robots, go get those chairs and move them over to the other side. And the robots, they all go over there and do every bid and call that the king gives, and they follow through with it. And they never question him. They always do. We would all say, that's a pretty cool king. But you know what's even better than having a thousand robots? Is having a thousand former enemies who have fallen in love with you. Just waiting for you to just tell me what you want because I love you so much. I was your former enemy. That's where we are with God. 
We were at enmity against Him. We were enemies against Him. And while we were still enemies against Him, Christ died for us so that we could be reconciled back to God. We're at one with God. So you know what makes God look a whole lot better than a bunch of robots that just, yes, we will always do right? Is instead, we love you. We used to be your enemy. That gives Him greater glory. So here's God knowing before the foundation of the world, Adam will sin. This will bring sin upon all men. God knew it, and yet He still chose to send His Son so that He could bring us back to Himself. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 4 says this, According as He, that's God, has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. God planned that He would send Jesus This was not God after Adam falls. It was not God scrounging around trying to come up with a plan B. This was God's plan A from before the foundation of the world. Before he ever said, let there be light, he knew Adam will fall. And he had already planned that we would be in him before the foundation of the world. God had an awesome plan. And he planned that Jesus would be much more. I don't know if you saw those words in our verses today. Verses 12 to 21, it's three times there. And if we back up into the verses 11, 10, and 9, you'll see them again in those verses two more times. The words, much more. And what we're doing is we're comparing. Here's Adam, whose one action destroyed us. And here's Christ, whose one action saves us. And this one is much more. Paul uses those two words, much more. He uses them 15 times in all of his writings. And five of those 15 show up between verse 9 and verse 21. Here's what he's doing. Let me put it on display. Adam brought you to sin and death and condemnation, but Jesus is going to bring you life and justification. He's going to bring it all right with God. This is a glorious thought. So we have these verses from 12 to 21. So we will skip into our, or step into our text next. And I'm going to walk through it the way that Paul wrote it. I'll be honest with you, this is a difficult passage to outline. John MacArthur called it one of the most difficult passages of all of Romans. The way I outlined it follows just the verses. And you'll see some of the wording in the outline. You say, that doesn't really pop. I chose the words in the outline. We'll have one, two, and three. I chose the words from the text, and I hope that you'll see them coming out in the text. Out of the scriptures, we chose these words for today. So the first thing that I see in this passage, that Adam's sin brings death. Adam's sin brings death. I see it in verses 12 to 14. He says it very clearly. We'll read them. Verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin was not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. Adam that day in the garden when he bit of the fruit in complete rebellion against the sovereign of the universe, when he bit that fruit, he did not think of the long-term ramifications of what his sin would do. He had no way of knowing how far that sin would go. 
do keep in mind, and this is not at the point of the passage, but do keep in mind that sin will always cost you more than you expected. And it will make life much more complex than you ever thought it would. Here's Adam taking a bite of the fruit, and because of that, he passed sin down to all men. See it in verse 12. As by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. That's every one of us. You're born a sinner because your parents were sinners. And your parents were sinners because their parents were sinners. This goes all the way back to Adam. It comes from Adam all the way through. From Adam now to all of us. All of us are born as sinners. Nobody has to teach a child how to lie or how to be a bully. It's just hardwired in them. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, the book of Proverbs says. You are a sinner. And you sin because you are a sinner. It doesn't go the other way around. You sin because you are a sinner. A simple way that's been illustrated in the past is a dog barks because he's a dog. You don't see a dog barking over on the side and go, well, finally we know what kind of animal that is. No, you've known it's a dog, and when he barks, nobody's surprised. And when your child sins, you're not surprised. You don't go, well, man, I've been waiting. I thought maybe we had the perfect one. The child sins, and you go, yep, there it is. He's a sinner. She's a sinner. It happens. This is it. You sin because you are a sinner. Children are born sinners, and sin comes with a penalty. Romans 6.23, for the wages, you help me, the wages of sin is death. Oh, Paul's foreshadowing that. That doesn't come until the end of chapter 6. He's foreshadowing that right here in 5.12. For as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. It's going to be a whole other chapter before he tells us that death is the penalty of sin. And here sin comes in, and with it comes death. And you might even ask, well, what about the people who don't know? What about the people who don't have... They sin, and they die... They never had a chance to know. That's what he addresses in verses 13 and 14. Verse 13. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who was a figure of him that was to come. In other words, from Adam until Moses... All of the book of Genesis, the first 19 chapters of the book of Exodus, there's no law. Now we know that the law is written on our hearts, in our conscience, and yet there was no Levitical law given. 613 laws of Exodus and Leviticus have not yet been written out. There's no tablets of stone. And yet, from Adam until Moses, men and women are dying. They're sinning. Their sin does not look... His, he's used the words in verse 14. Their sin is not after the similitude of Adam's transgression. In, in other words, Methuselah, 969 years old, died not having eaten the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. His sin looked different. And yet, he was still a sinner. Death reigned. Death is the king. Sin is controlling. And that happens 
even up until the law. And notice the words that he uses in verse number 13, the sin, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. This seems like an odd statement. Let me rephrase it. Sin is not counted up when you don't have a law to compare it against. I'll illustrate this. So here in Port Moresby, there are speed limits. Contrary to what some people think, there are speed limits. Now, we have a lack of posting of the speed limits, but different places it's 30, some places it's 60, and some places, believe it or not, it actually is legally 75. And yet, some people tend to just drive without any knowledge of the law because it's not posted. And yet, even though it's not posted, the law is still there. And so if you're driving, you could be breaking the law, but without the knowledge of the law, perhaps you came from another place where if it's not posted, it doesn't, you don't have a speed limit. That would be the state of Montana in the USA. If it's not posted, you drive as fast as you want. That's the legal law. Not the smart law, but it's the legal law. And you come to Port Moresby and you try to drive as fast as you want, you're still breaking the law. And here he uses this statement where the, there was not a law, it's not imputed to him. So I was 21 years old, got in my car, I'm headed to work at night, I'm driving, I got on the highway, and just as I got on the highway, I did what a lot of driver's foot does. Got a little heavy on the accelerator. I sped up, and as I sped up, there was a police officer that watched me do it. And I looked in my mirror, and I saw blue lights behind me. You never run away from the blue lights. So I pulled over, stopped on the side of the road. He came up to my window. I thought, in that moment, I thought, I'm in the right. Because I thought the speed limit through this area is 60. I thought that was the law. And he came up to my window. I rolled my window down. He said, son, do you know how fast you were going? I said, yes, sir. In fact, when your blue lights came on, I looked at my speedometer and it said 58. I said I was doing 58. He said, do you know what the speed limit is? I said, yes, sir. It's 60. He said, do you have eyes in your head? <laughs> and he pointed about 50 meters ahead of me and there was a great big sign there that said 45. <laughs> Oops. And so the posting of the law made the sin exceedingly sinful. I don't even get to claim I don't know because there's the sign right in front of me. You see what he means? Where there's not a law, the sin is not imputed. In other words, it doesn't get built up. You can't say he broke 17 laws when you don't have 17 laws to compare it against. But when the law is there, oh, place clear. And he'll talk about that in a minute. Nevertheless, death reigned, verse, 18, uh, verse 14, he says, death reigned from Adam until Moses. And after Moses, here comes the law, and it will be very evident. So we saw first that Adam's sin brings death. The second portion of this passage, verses 15 to 17, I see clearly here Christ's gift is much better. Christ's gift is much better. We'll have a look and see what that gift is in just a moment. Verses 15 to 17. I'll go ahead and say this where 12 to 14 and even 18 to 21 is a comparison 
15 to 17 is a contrast. And so I don't know if you remember this from English class, from grammar class. Compare and contrast are two different things. Compare is see how they are similar. Contrast is see how they are different. And so verses 15 to 17 are going to show us how Christ and Adam are very different. And it's also going to show us in this, going to show us how that Christ's gift is much better. So let me read it to you, verses 15 to 17. Verse 15. But not as the offense, so also is the gift. This is a contrast. Not as the offense. The gift, in other words, the gift is not like the sin. It's different. For if, through the offense of one, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one, Jesus Christ has abounded unto many. Now verse 16. Another contrast. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. In other words, the gift is not like the one who sinned. They're far different. So verse 15 was, the gift is not like the sin. Verse 16, the gift is not like the one who sinned. Christ is far different. Continuing verse 16, for the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. Let me show this. If I can just maybe graphically show it with my hands. All right? So here's Adam and his sin passes upon all men. And all men die. And you almost would say it doesn't get much worse than that. There you are, dead, separated from God. So Adam's sin comes on to all men, but then Jesus' gift comes much more and swallows up all of that and brings it over to His side. And so here's Jesus with His one act of obedience. He's going to do the one right thing and He changes our lives in ways that nobody else can. Now see it in verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of life and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. So what is Christ's gift? Verse 17, the gift is righteousness. And I hope that that rings bells in your mind. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For God made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. That's Jesus' gift to us. He gave us righteousness. And so here you put your trust in Jesus. It's an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. And those who receive that gift, much more. We get life. We are not ending in condemnation away from God, but instead we are victorious in life through Christ. Instead of being damned and doomed and separated from God forever, instead we are invited into and brought into a family relationship, join heirs with Christ, the sons of God. This is much more. This is glorious. So then look at verse 17. I want to hone in on one phrase at the end of verse 17 because it's going to give us a picture of next week's chapter 6. Look at verse 17, the end of verse 17. We receive the abundance of grace, the gift of righteousness. We will reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. So remember the comparison here. Sin has been reigning. Death has been reigning. But those who are in Christ will now reign by grace. Reign, we're going to take control of what? We're going to take control of sin. No longer will death 
hold sway over us. No longer will sin hold us back. We are no longer under the, under the rule of sin. We're now reigning in Christ. Now that gives me two thoughts here, and I hope that you can grasp these. Here's the first one. You cannot have freedom from sin apart from Christ. You cannot have freedom from sin apart from Christ. So if you're here this morning, you're not a believer, you've never put your trust in Christ, you will never escape the penalty of sin, you'll never escape the power of sin. It just won't happen. You're stuck. Apart from Christ, you will never have victory over sin. And yet, believers, this is the part that many of us miss out on because we don't understand Romans chapter 5, 6, and 7. Here's the other part of it. If you are in Christ, you have freedom from sin. It is there for your taking. You have freedom. If you are in Christ, those words, we've said it many times, those words are very important. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. We're in Christ. If you're in Christ, you now have the ability to walk away from sin. It does not rule over you. It does not reign over you. Here's a couple of verses. You might just turn a page over to Romans 6 and verse 16, and you can see this. This is a glimpse of what's to come in the next few weeks. Verse 16. Know you not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. So believer, you are in Christ. You have the ability to walk away from sin. And you yield yourself to one of the, or the other. I'm going to yield myself to sin and that's going to bring me to death. Or I'm going to yield myself to righteousness that's going to bring me unto obedience. It's up to you. You get to choose. This is a gift that comes from Jesus. He's given the Holy Spirit in your heart. Your life is changed. You are no longer under the power of sin. You have the ability to choose. So you can yield to one or the other. Yield. It means I'm going to give way. I'm going to submit. So brother, sister, what are you going to submit to? You submit to sin? Or submit to Christ? He says it again down in verse 22. But now, being made free from sin and become servants of God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Now let me turn your salvation on its head. Some of us have bought into the idea that if I pray a prayer, I get saved. And if I get saved, that affects I go to heaven or hell. And that's all you've done with your salvation. And you do not realize that all of Romans chapter 5, 6, and 7 has every bit to do with the gospel transforms your life. Your life will be different because the gospel frees you from sin. If you're in Christ, you don't have to be under sin anymore. So when he says the end of a righteous life is everlasting life, that's 622, the end of a righteous life is everlasting life. That means you've got abundant, here's another word we would say, victorious Christian life. And I wonder how many of us would sing victory in Jesus without having experienced victory. It will bring you to a fruitless life. So may I encourage you, yield your members, yield yourselves as instruments of righteousness. We'll see that in chapter 6 in the days to come. So we've seen Adam's sin brought death. 
We've seen that Christ's gift is much better, and now let's see uh, Christ's gift brings life. We'll see this in verses 18 to 21. Christ's gift brings life. Verse number 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Adam's sin brings condemnation. You are declared guilty before God. And yet, the righteousness of Jesus brings a free gift of righteousness to us who have believed on Christ, and that brings justification and life. Now verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, that's when Adam sinned, many were made sinners. And so by the obedience of one, that's Christ, many shall be made righteous. So let me give you a thought here that we've not really talked about up to this point, and I think this is a great point to put it in, a great place to put it in. Uh, Scripture talks of two Adams, the first Adam and the last Adam. So come with me over to 1 Corinthians 15. You can hold your place here in Romans 6. Come with me over to 1 Corinthians 15, and you'll see the, the definition of who the last Adam is in this passage you can see 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 45 to verse 47 talks about this, first Adam and last Adam. Now, I love the way that Paul sandwiches this thought in the chapter on the resurrection. So, 1 Corinthians 15 starts with Christ resurrected and he's the first fruits from the dead. And it ends with you and I will also be resurrected. That's all of 1 Corinthians 15 and tells us what that will be like. And right in the middle of it, he talks about the first Adam and how the first Adam brought us sin and death. And the last Adam brings us righteousness and life. Let me show it to you. This is 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 54, uh, 45. Sorry, 1545. So it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. You get that, get that image? Day six of creation. God takes the dust forms Adam, breathes into him the breath of life, and man became a living soul. That's what he says here. So the the first Adam was made a living soul. Now watch how much better the last Adam is. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. There's a quick lesson here. If you've got a King James Version like mine is, you'll see the words was made are italicized. In other words, the translators put it in there so it would make sense. But the words was made were not in the original Greek language. So in other words, Adam was made, Christ was never made. Right? He's always been there. Yet it helps us to see it in the wording here. So don't go technical on Christ was made. He wasn't made. It's here so that we can see the contrast. Adam was made. God formed him. Christ is a Living, quickening spirit. Adam was created and had to have life put into him. Jesus is the one who brings life to you and I. Now verse 46. How be it, that was not first, which is spiritual, but that which is natural. Adam was a human being. And afterward, that which is spiritual. So Christ is going to awaken your spiritual life, whereas Adam brought you physical life. Born once in Adam, born again in Christ. Verse 47 now. And just in case you were curious who the last Adam is, here it is, verse 47. The first man, Adam, is of the earth. He's earthy, made of dust. 
The second man is the Lord from heaven. So here's Jesus, calls him the last Adam. So the first Adam, if you're in the first Adam, you can't help it but be in the first Adam. All of us are. Human beings, we're born into this, this single race called the human race. And all of us are born into Adam, and yet when we're born into Adam, we're born into sin and what will come of it, death. But those who believe on Jesus and trust Jesus for their salvation, you are now born into a new family. We're the family of God. We're born into that, and when we are born into that, we are given new life, and we have a new head. Where our old Tambuna was Adam, our new Tambuna is Jesus. And He brings life to us. And there will be victory, and there will be righteousness, there will be justification before God. Oh, He is much better. So come back with me to Romans chapter 5, verse number 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. The law entered. So there we had, from Adam to Moses, all of Genesis, 19 chapters of Exodus, all of those years before Moses, the law was not there, but sin was there. And then the law came in, and the law put the sin place clear. Anybody can line up against the law now and say, you're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty. This one 27 times, this one 73 times, this one 6 times. You are guilty over and over and over. It can be imputed, it can be counted, because the law is there to show you where you've gone wrong. And so the law entered... And where the law entered, follow this line of thinking that he gives, where the law entered, sin abounded. But when we're talking about the grace of God, where the sin abounded, the grace of God more abounded. Because where the sin was, the sin needed to be paid for, and that made God look glorious when Jesus took our sin. And so the... Law being there helps us to see that my sin is not some nebulous, oh, I did sin at some point in my life. No, this is, I've sinned X number of thousands of times, and His grace has covered my sin. And so where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So if I can just come back for a moment to the illustration of being, being pulled over by a police officer. So there I am, pulled over by the police officer, and he walks up to my window. I don't know if you know the other name for police officer. It's a law enforcement officer. I don't know if that sinks into anybody. The fact that he is there to enforce the law. Show you where you went wrong. Now can you imagine if he came up to my window and said, Yes, you are guilty. There's the law you broke. There will be a fine, and he writes out the ticket. I need to go pay this ticket, and he writes out the ticket, and when he gets done writing out the ticket, he reaches in his pocket, pulls out a checkbook, and says, but here's some grace that goes with it, and he writes out a check to cover the cost of my speeding ticket. You know what that is? It's grace. Oh, I don't deserve that. That's what God has done for you and I. For our sins, exceedingly sinful, that deserve death. You know what God has done? He sent His Son, Jesus, to die on the cross to take all of our sin's penalty. 
oh, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound and makes God look wonderful. So let's close with verse 21. That as, this is the fifth time in this passage, as sin has a, reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. On the one side, sin is reigning, controlling, going to death. On the other side, grace is reigning, is bringing us life. And that is by Jesus. It's not on our own. It's Jesus that's doing it. Let me just break this down again. I'll paraphrase it if you want to read it as I paraphrase it. Here you go. Just like sin used to reign over you, instead now grace will reign over you. And grace will bring righteousness and it will bring it to life. You're going to be led by the Spirit. You'll be trusting the promises of God. You'll see victory in your life over sin. Eternal life. And that happens because of Jesus. It happens because of Jesus at the cross, and it happens because of Jesus sending His Holy Spirit to live in you and live through you. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. You see, the Gospel transforms your life. So as I close, I want to close with this thought. One person's actions greatly impact the lives of many others. And so how do I apply that to us? A moralistic message would say, keep in mind that one person's actions affect many others, so be careful of your actions. That's not a gospel message. It's a good message. It's one that you should teach your children, but it's also one that Muslims can preach in their sermons. And it's one that Mormons can teach in their sermons. But if we're going to be faithful to the gospel, there's got to be more than just, I'm going to be a good boy so I don't negatively impact other people's lives. So what is this passage? The whole point of the passage is that there is one who has impacted your life, and it should impact your life. Jesus' death on the cross should impact your life in a way that transforms you. How many times do we say it? You don't change the fruit on the outside. Don't try sticky taping fruit to the outside because it will rot. And the real fruit will still pop up. So what's going on here? I'm embracing the Gospel and it's changing my life. Can I just share with you Wednesday night? We're having faith family in here Wednesday night. Kevin's not in here yet. He'll be here second service. I've got to tell you what happened. Wednesday night we're in here, and I'm asking. Wednesday night we go back through the same passage, and I ask instead of preach. I ask and draw out. And all of a sudden, one answer came out of Kevin. And if you guys know Kevin, he works security at the front gate, and he plays guitar on Sundays. And here's Kevin sitting right about there, and out of the answer that came out of his mouth, I just about wept as he said, God sent Jesus, these are his words, God sent Jesus to be a propitiation so that he could be just and justifier. And I went, my goodness, that came out of Romans 3.26. You just spoke gospel into this room. Oh, brothers and sisters, don't go kindergarten with the gospel. Stop living like, oh, I just need to be a good boy. No! The gospel transforms who I am. It changes me. So start letting the gospel come in and change you from the inside and then watch as the fruit changes on the outside. 
So I will, in a positive way, I'll use Romans 6's words. I'm going to yield actively. I'm going to yield to Him. I don't want sin to rule over me. So I'm going to go to Jesus. I'm going to walk in the Spirit so that I don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. I'm going to yield to Him. I'll use 521's words. I'm going to let grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ. I'm going to let Him work through me. Grace is going to be changing my life. Or that's the positive way to say it. Or the negative way to say it. Stop living in the death of my old man's sins. Stop living there. You get to choose as a believer. You get to choose how to yield yourself. Do I yield myself to Jesus or do I yield myself to sin? Because sin no longer has power over me. I can stop yielding myself there. I can start yielding myself to Jesus. And so an example, you might say, I can't stop being angry. No, you're just letting your old man live after the first man, Adam. So stop it. Yield yourself to God. Let grace reign through your life. Or you might say, I can't stop lusting after people who are not my spouse. No, you need to stop letting the old man live through you. Start yielding to the new Adam, the last Adam. Let him humbly yield to him and let him bring life and grace. Or you might say, I can't stop lying or cheating or stealing or being greedy or coveting or fill in the blank. No, I would say, Stop yielding yourself to those things. Start yielding yourself to God and let grace reign through you. And if you trusted Him for your salvation, I promise you, you can trust Him for your sanctification. Father, thank You for Your goodness upon us. Thank You that what Jesus brought is much more than what Adam brought. Oh, we've seen that the negative has impacted us, but we're so thankful that the positive overwhelms. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to live in light of the fact that we can yield ourselves to you and we can let your grace reign in our lives. I pray for victory. For those who are still struggling, I pray for victory. I pray that your grace would reign through them. Allow them to be transformed by the renewing of their mind. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Matt Allen of Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We would love to have you join us for service if you are in the area. If you need help with transportation, please give us a call on 709-1000. Again, it's 709-1000.